Hey, this is Pastor Michael Alfaro from The Calling Church. I'm so excited that you're listening to our church podcast. I pray that it blesses you and encourages your faith. Um, I'm so glad you guys are here and that I get to share with you guys. Um, For the next few minutes, I want to talk about um, uh, on the thought of when God is with you. Say, when God is with you. you. So let's pray before we start. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we love you so much, and um, we are just so, so grateful for who you are, God. Like we sang in the song, God, we are here because we want to build our lives upon you, God, and your foundation and what your word says. So in this moment, God, I ask that you just um, use um, me in this moment, God, that you would just use me as your instrument however you want, God, and that you would take over. And I pray that we would just be inspired today by what you're sharing with us in the story we're going to learn about today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I don't know about you, but I hate scary movies. Do we? Okay, we got a few people. I hate Scary movies. Do we have people here that love scary movies? Don't feel shamed. It's okay. My husband is one of them. Oh, a little small clap. That's okay. That's good. So I hate scary movies. So I don't understand you guys that love scary movies. You work hard all day, have stressful jobs, and then you come home, sit on the couch, and want to have high blood pressure all over again. I don't understand it. So my husband loves scary movies, and he kind of grew up that way. His, his family loved it, so it was just kind of like part of what they did when they hung out. So he always tries to get me to watch scary movies, and I always tell him, no, like, I don't want to, but there's, a, there's occasions where he'll talk me into it, and he's like, oh, we, you know, we can be together and hang out, it'll be nice, you know, I'm here, it's just we're at home, you know, we're safe, and stuff like that, so we'll watch it, so we're watching the movie, and then he falls asleep in the movie, like, how, how soothing is a scary movie that you fall asleep, and I'm just, like, up. Like, watching it on my own, like, by myself, not safe, because you're not protecting me from imaginary things. And um, so anyway, I hate scary movies. But what I love, if you know me, is I love fairy tales. And I love happy endings, right? Who loves a good, happy ending, right? I think everyone, right, loves a good, happy ending. And for me, I've always been a fan of Disney from beginning of my days of watching movies till now. And um, I just love just the ebb and flow of it and, and the beautiful endings. And I want to tell you guys today about a real, true Cinderella story. And it's in the book of Esther. So Esther has nothing. Our Moana, you know, Ariel, I love them. They're great. But they have nothing on Esther. Esther is so awesome. We're going to read about her today. She is a true historical figure, way better than a fairy tale. But it actually kind of reads like a fairy tale. So I want to kind of tell you guys a little bit about her. And this is for everybody. This is not just for the women. This is for, we can learn something, both men and women in this. So it's going to be really awesome. So um, the story starts with a king named Xerxes. Now, King Xerxes is the king of Persia. And he is what, if you've heard of the term, like filthy rich, right? So he is like so, so rich, flamboyant with the money he has. Filthy rich in that he is corrupt, he, um, he just does whatever he can to get what he has, right? And that's why he's so extremely above and beyond um, wealthy at this time in Persia. And also he is somebody that is just very um, wicked in the time. So he will, you know, has girls around him everywhere. He does what he wants. He's the king, right? Kind of the typical story king that you see in different movies and stuff. So that is King Xerxes. So at the beginning of the story, 
he decides to have basically a 180-day raging party. So for 180 days, he invites all these people to come to his house, and he's going to be boastful and show off his wealth. So everyone that's invited is basically like it's an endless buffet in Las Vegas, and the, the tab is on King Xerxes. So he says that anybody can come, and um, they can drink however they, much they want. There is no limit. However thirsty they are, they can just keep drinking and drinking and drinking. Can you imagine 180 days of that? You know, one day, I'm sure, is, you know, people, you know, right? Have you seen The Hangover? Movies like that, it's just not good. And then 180 days of that. So he um, just does that for all this time and just shows off all his opulence and wealth. And in that time, so King Xerxes obviously participating, and he's, he's so drunk and kind of just out of it. Um, but he decides in that moment in one of the parties and nights to call um, his wife, which is Queen Vashti. Say, Queen Vashti. So obviously, in this time, he probably doesn't know everything that he's choosing to do, I would think, because he's drunk and intoxicated. But he calls her over, so at the same time, she's having a separate like party for the women. and she, So it's kind of weird. They're married, but they have separate parties. It doesn't really make sense. But anyway, so he calls her over, he basically wants her to come and to the party and show her off. So when I, when I was researching it, it said, like in the original text, it probably means that he wanted her to come just with her crown, completely naked, so this is the king, to show her off because she was so beautiful in front of whoever was there. So queen, uh, queens at that time kind of had to do whatever, you know, the king said, right? If the king says it, you do it, or basically, you know, you, you die. But anyway, so that's very harsh. But anyway, so to her credit, she's like, I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be paraded around like that. So she refuses to come. And then her people go to him and tell him that. And the king is so very, very extremely like livid and mad. And then he's not sure what to do. So he goes off and talks to his chauvinistic boys, guys, surra- people surrounding him, the leaders. And they're like, you know what? Um, this is not good that she basically disobeyed you. If she does that, every single wife in the kingdom is now going to think it's okay to disobey their husbands. So like, oh man, we can't do that. So what do they do? They say, we basically got to get rid of her. She's not going to be queen anymore. So Queen Vashti is out because she disobeyed the king. So the next two characters that come into our story are the stars of our story, which is Esther and Mordecai. So this is where I want to start reading the Bible. It's in Esther 2, 1 through 10. And we're going to do a lot of reading today. So if you have your Bible, um, if you could open up to Esther 2, 1. If you do not, we have a giant Bible here on the screen. So you can follow along there. Um, So Esther 2, 1. Um, Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed... Let a search be made for the beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now there was in the city of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair. Not sure if I'm saying that right, but we'll go with it. The son of Shemel, the son of Kish, 
who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with, we'll skip that name, king of Judah. (laughs) Sorry. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. So she was an orphan. The young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge over the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants, selected from the king's palace, and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. So I love this story already. So it's already starting out like a Disney movie. So she is an orphan. Um, She's already started out just kind of like having a hard place in life. And Mordecai takes her in and basically um, raises her as his own, as his own daughter. So it's, if, you read, if you heard in there, it said she was beautiful. She was, like, lovely in figure. She was just, like, stunningly gorgeous. If you think, like, the most beautiful woman in the world, she was probably like that. Just so beautiful. And um, she was ready to enter, like, the biggest beauty pageant there ever was at that time. She was going to be Miss Persia, right? That's what she was competing with all these hundreds of women for. So it's interesting in this process, it's a whole 12-month process before she even is presented to the presented to the king. So I'm, th- I'm thinking, like, she's already beautiful. Like, how much more beautiful can she get? But there's a whole 12-month process of her to get ready with beauty treatments, eating, eating the right things, stuff like that. Um, but what I love about Esther is that she was not necessarily prepared all her life to become a queen, yet she's been thrown into this, this opportunity. But she's been prepared all her life her heritage and her following God to be a child of God and be a woman of God. So what I love about Esther, she's actually not just beautiful on the outside, but she is beautiful on the inside. So she's not just beautiful on the outside, but she's beautiful on the inside. And it says in there that she won favor with everyone who saw her. Isn't that amazing? I think that marks somebody that's beautiful in all areas, right? She won favor from everyone who saw her, including the king. So when it was her time The king was like head over heels for her, and he chose her out of all the hundreds and hundreds of women. And this foreign girl became the leader of of a foreign nation she never knew before. Isn't that amazing? That she became the queen of a nation that wasn't even her own. And so what I want to talk about, it's interesting in this book, is that, well, first of all, this is only one of two books named after a woman. That's significant already. So she's very important. Um, But also... In my research, this is the only book in the Bible that does not mention God not even once. Isn't that interesting? So not even like a reference. They don't even like say his name. It's just interesting. Just the only book in the Bible. But what I want to go through and talk to you guys about today is that even though he's not mentioned, his fingerprints and who he is is all over and in every part of every event of this book. He is in every part of this book. And I think it's good for us as believers to know that when we may not even see God there, it does not mean he's not there. If you don't see him, you don't feel him, it does not mean he's not with you and he's not there. So I want to talk to you guys about when God 
is with you. When God is with you. So my first thought is, when God is with you, if you're taking notes, opportunities given are always bigger than yourself. When God is with you, opportunities given are always bigger than yourself. So with Esther, she's been prepared all her life to be a godly woman, not necessarily a queen, but she has this awesome opportunity. Now she's queen. How amazing is that? But God didn't put her there so she could have just an easy, comfortable life to wear the best clothes and just have a leisurely time. No, God put her there, which you will learn is to save her whole people. Isn't that amazing? So when God gives you an opportunity, sometimes it looks like it's just one thing, but he's really going to open the door to a bigger opportunity that's bigger than just yourself in that moment. She was going to save people that didn't have a voice. God promoted her because he could trust her. And I think with you guys, God gives you influence. A lot of, we have this word called influencers now on Instagram. You have like, there's people that have hundreds of thousands of followers and and you guys have the opportunity. I'm just going to use that one as an example, but every single one of us has an opportunity to be an influencer to the people around us. If you're a mom or a dad, which we're excited to be about, I have this extreme influence now on this little life to grow up to be a good human being. Like, you know what I mean? I have an influence. You may not think you might have something. Or at your job, if you're a manager or you're a customer service, you're talking to each person, you have influence on that person. And you get to be um, used for God's glory or you were going to be used for the opposite, to, bring, um, to not bring God glory. So um, God gives you and trusts you in the moment and an opportunity bigger than yourself to do more than just that task in that moment. So, okay, we have another character, last character, that's coming up. Um, his name is called Haman. Say Haman. Haman. So Haman, if you just saw Aladdin again, Aladdin is, I mean, Haman is just like Jafar. Okay, so Haman is just like Jafar. He is um, the king's, King Xerxes' right-hand man. And he is someone that is just kind of full of angst and hatred. And um, he is just, you know, a funky character like um, Jafar. So the story goes on in that um, Haman was just recently, like, kind of uplifted in the kingdom, becoming his right-hand man to the king. And um, he sees Mordecai at the city gates, which is basically... Esther's, I guess, like father in a way. So he sees him at the city gates and he is upset because Mordecai will not bow down to him. And uh, Mordecai is not trying to disrespect Haman. He's just trying to respect God because God is the one he bows down to. So Haman was furious that he would not bow down to him and his anger just kind of like bubbles inside. So he decides that he wants to kill Haman. But not only that, his, his anger is so big that he wants to kill every single Jew in the kingdom. Isn't that crazy? Like, how much arrogance do you have for someone to get you mad that you're going to say, I'm just going to plot to genocide a whole, a whole mankind, right, type, type of thing. So um, Haman then goes back to the king, um, and he kind of pitches it to the king, saying, oh, there's a people um, in Persia that are not exactly following everything that you want or the laws and things like that. They don't agree with you. He never says who they are, but he just says, you know, I think we should kind of like get rid of them basically and kill them. So the, the, the guy, our King Xerxes, he trusts his right-hand man, and he gives him something called a signet ring, which seals out a decree that he's going to put out to do this. So an edict goes out that um, there is one specific day um, that... Every single person that's not a Jew has the right and authority to kill a Jewish person and not be accountable for it. So this is basically like, I'm throwing out movies again, The Purge 
If you've seen it, you know. If you haven't, don't see it. It's not good. One of those movies, again, that I saw with Michael. But anyway, so it's basically like that. So, so an edict goes out that on this one day, every single Jew is going to be killed, and it's going to basically be fine. So Mordecai finds this out, and he is just so sorrowful at the gate, and he's, he's upset. And then Esther hears about this, and she, she wants to know what's wrong. So she doesn't know all this is going on. So we're going to pick up again in Esther 4, 6, um, one, 6 through 17. So this will be a second. Let's see. So Hathak, sorry if I pronounced it wrong, went, on, went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. So he, was gonna, he basically bribed the king. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther when Mordecai had said what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was even called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. And this leads me to my next point. When God is with you, fear is overwhelming, but faith is unrelenting. When God is with you, fear is overwhelming, but faith is unrelenting. I don't know about you, but when I'm operating in faith, it doesn't mean I'm free of fear. It usually means I have fear, but I'm doing it anyway. It usually means I have fear, but I'm doing it anyway. I choose, When you're having faith, you're choosing. You're making a choice. You're choosing to walk in faith. And on the other side of fear, there is always a God opportunity. And I love that Esther, in this moment, you really see her shift She's like, you know, this makes no sense. You know, this is what the law says. I'm basically going to die if I don't have a big chance unless he extends that golden scepter. But she chooses for her people and acting in faith and what God is calling her to do, that she's going to walk out in faith and know that God is with her and trusting. For us, with Michael and I, just a personal story with starting the church, he shared a little bit about it, um, but... Starting a church is very hard, guys. So um, Michael and I uh, served in church all our lives. We met at church, and I worked at church for a little bit. We knew things very well, um, and kind of the way, the lay of the land, the way things go. 
But um, starting a church from scratch and planting it and watching it grow and watering it is a whole other thing than um, going in and maybe serving in one specific ministry or the thing like you're best at. So what we learned is um, just kind of wearing all these hats and doing these different things. But when we first felt called and then confirmed to go and start the church, um, we were we were not um, super confident. We were actually very fearful because um, we had no idea what we were getting into. Um, will people even come? You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's just true. You know, if you build it, they may not come. So I'm so glad you guys are here. You guys came. So, but when we started in the beginning four years ago, maybe five, talking about it and stuff, it was just a extreme fear, but at the same time, a strong passion that we knew we had to do that. And I think we're both at the point if... Um, you know, it would be a lot easier just to do what we were doing and to stay there. We were still feeling fulfilled, but God was giving us an opportunity that was bigger than ourselves in that moment. And we were thinking, you know, if, or I was thinking, if, if I don't go, I'll never know what could have happened. If I don't go, I'll never know. And I think Esther had this thought, if she didn't try this, she would never know what God could have done. Or she would probably would have just perished, just like Mordecai had said. So the same is true for your life. What is God calling you to do this morning? You know, it's probably scary. And usually when God does that, it is scary. But it's probably a good thing because he's stretching you. So just think about in your life. If you never go, you'll never know. So just give it a try. If you, if you fail, if something happens, it's okay. God will redirect you. He's so good, and he'll be with you always. So Esther could face death, but she did it anyway. Don't wait for great faith. That's another thing I love is that God says faith is as small as a mustard seed. It can move a mountain. So some of us are waiting for like this awesome moment of like, I feel good. I feel confident. I can do this. But most of the time that probably will never happen. So, but God just says it's just the faith the size of a mustard seed. And that's the smallest seed, I believe, that is out there. You can like barely see it. It's like smaller than a poppy seed. So just the size of a mustard seed. So we're going to read again in Esther 5. One through five. Thank you so much, Tiffany, in the back for sticking with me. Okay. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held to her the gold scepter. Woohoo! And that was in his hand. So Esther, she probably like had a sigh of relief. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. And then she responds, which I love. She's so kind and generous. She said, if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet. Esther had planned. So Esther basically invited them to a dinner she was getting ready. And I thought this was interesting when I was reading it again this past couple weeks. And, you know, you think in that moment she's going like, she, to say it all, right? Um, what, she, what she needs to tell the king and that um, this is wrong, that all the Jews are going to say. But no, she kind of invites them to dinner. It's extended for a little bit more time. So they go to dinner, fast forward to later, and... Um, they're all, the three of them are together, having a good time eating. And then so the king asks again, he's like, you know, queen, what, what is your request? What do you want? 
And it's interesting in this part, too. I would love for you guys to go home and read it. It's, it's really easy to read. It's probably like, I think it's just a few pages, 10 chapters. So go home and read it. But she's there, and she says, you know what? If, if it pleases the king, come to dinner again another night. And I remember I was reading this, like, why another dinner? Like, are you, are you postponing it because you're scared? I know I've done that. I'm like, ah, oh, let's just distract and, like, procrastinate one more day. So, but... In this, I don't think she's really procrastinating and that she's scared, but this leads me to my next point in that when God is with you, there is power in the pause. When God is with you, there is power in the pause. So I think at this moment, Esther is just, um, she's waiting on God. God told her it wasn't time yet in that moment. So she, she's getting ready for another dinner. So there's two significant pauses I want to point out. Um, so the first one we read a little bit ago is that she stopped to do prayer and fasting for three days. So what we can learn from Esther is that she is not led by her emotions and desires. How many of you guys know that your emotions can fail you sometimes, right? How many of you guys have done something and uh, out of emotion and you regret it later? I have to admit, one time I've texted out of anger, and it was just bad. Don't do that. It's bad after. And then it's there, and it's like a document, and you can't get rid of it. Anyway, so... (laughs) But anyway, so things like that, you know, think, you got to pause before you respond. Even if it's something great, you could be like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever, and it's from God. You know, I'm going to marry this guy and this girl. I've only known you three days, but it's awesome. We're getting married tomorrow. And then the next day, oh, man, what did I do? You know what I mean? That's a big example, but you know what I mean? So whether it's a good feeling or a bad feeling, whatever it is, you know, Esther waits on her emotions and her desires and her passions, and she waits on God. So for three days, um, she paused, which is great. She paused. And the second I want to point out is that this dinner, this second dinner is just a, is a really great pause and kind of like um, a building in the story. Like, oh my gosh, you didn't ask, and then now we're going to ask later. But anyway, so for me, I love that she took another pause. She didn't rush God. She didn't, you know, put her own motions into it. And for me, what I've learned about with God and and reading this is just proving to me more and more all the time. For God, timing is everything. Wouldn't you agree? For God, timing is everything. He doesn't, it's not just enough that he, you are doing the right thing. He wants you to do the right thing at the right time. It's just a beautiful combination. So he wants you to do the right thing at the right time. And sometimes when God asks you to pause, it's right before he's going to produce something amazing and significant and do something great in your life. So I want to encourage you today, there may be some of you here that think that this pause in your life is really an ending, but it's actually a beginning. It's not an ending, but it's a beginning. Don't confuse a comma with a period in your life. God is with you and he is doing so much and he's going to do more than you can ever ask through this pause. Amen? So because of the pause, because of Esther's pause, Haman then goes home. And on his way home to his wife, he actually sees Mordecai again at the gate. And he's just like angry all over again. And he just stirs up more and more. So he goes home to his wife and he tells her all about this. And basically they're getting mad together. And then him and his wife, um, the wife suggests like, why don't you build this giant, um, I read like a 70 foot pole in front of your house, our house, and let's impale him on it. That's graphic, very Game of Thrones. I haven't even watched that show, so I don't know. But I'm just using that as an example. (laughs) I figured it would work. Um, so <laughs> he's, he has this idea to put Mordecai on the pole and pale him the next day and kill him. 
and um, just kind of get it over with. So the edict was already going to go out, but he was like, that's not enough. I'm so angry. I'm going to do something now. How angry do you have to be to build, right, a 70-foot pole to kill someone on, right, in front of your house? So because she pauses, that happens. But at the same time, because of her pause, the king goes home. And for some reason, he can't sleep that right that night. You know, it's a coincidence, which I don't think so. I think it's God. But he can't sleep that night. So he calls uh, his people around him and asks them to read him something so he could go to sleep. So they read him um, his kind of history of rain. And in there, um, which I didn't touch on, but in chapter 2, so go back and read it, um, Mordecai is at the city gate, and he finds uh, two people that are conspiring against the king to kill him. So they, he makes that known to Esther, and then Esther tells um, the king. So he basically saves the king's life. So this is written now in, in that um, order of his reign, the history of his reign. And um, he's, he's telling his people, have we done anything to honor this man, Mordecai? Have we you know, celebrated him? And the people said, no, we haven't. So the next day, fast forward to the morning, Haman's all excited, walking. You know, he feels good. He's what he's going to do later. He's um, going to take care of Mordecai. And um, Haman, he goes to meet the king Xerxes. And then the king asks him, they're having their like usual meeting, and he asks him, um, what would you do for someone that pleases the king? He doesn't say who it is. And Haman, just so arrogant and full of himself that he thinks it's him. And he's like, well, I think you should like wear, put the best, finest royal robes on him. And uh, put him on a horse, parade him around, and say, this is the person the king is pleased with. So he's like, the king is like, great, get Mordecai, and then I want you to lead him around the city. And, and so I can imagine, like, his face, like, this person he hates and wants to kill, he thought, you know, he was the one to be celebrated. Now he has to celebrate him. Isn't that amazing? I feel like what goes around comes around all the time. And um, so in this story, um, because of Esther's pause, all of this kind of turns around and happens. So there is power in the pause when you wait for the Holy Spirit. She didn't plan all this to happen. God just kind of worked it all out on his own. So later that night, so we're, we're almost done. Later that night, we're going into dinner number two. So at dinner number two, it's kind of gets interesting about God. And that's something I've learned in life. So God is fast. God is slow. And God is fast at the same time. He's like slow and he's fast. He's slow and he's fast. So in chapter in the chapter timeline, chapters one through four is like a whole nine-year process. And, and the queen is queen for five years. So this is not something that happens so quickly. But when we start hearing about these dinners um, that she's having to help save her people, it's a 24-hour sequence from chapter five through eight. So then it becomes it's really God's slow all these years, but then he's really fast in this 24-hour period. so And it's just like suddenly things happen. So the question is, when does God move suddenly? And what I found is he moves suddenly when things are all ready. He moves suddenly when things are all ready. For us, we're excited. We're having a baby in November. It's going to be awesome. And to be quite honest with you guys, we wanted to have kids for a very long time. Um, we It's been years, a few years. And... Um, we basically, my friend likes to say, the goalies have been pulled. We weren't, you know, just having a good time. We weren't purposeful. But for three years, we were like, where's a baby? I don't know. We want you. Where are you? <laughs> so I was kind of wondering, like, with God, uh, you know, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, it's just interesting how God moves. He's slow, and then he's really fast. 
And in our lives, we waited for, we waited all that time. We've been together now almost 10 years, um, dating and married and waiting for a baby three years. And um, we come to this point and we find out we're pregnant. But just back a little, maybe like a month or two, we had just gotten a brand new car, a uh, brand new nice used car, family car. We didn't know God was going to bring that to us. Mine was just like dying. I had a Honda Accord 94 and it was time. So we got this awesome new car. We were hoping for a family, but we didn't know, but we kind of had that in our minds. So we got this awesome new car. A few months later, we found out we're having a baby. And then we started looking. I told you about, like, I don't know where I'm going to put a baby. I have a one-bedroom apartment. They're going to have a corner. You know, I don't know. So we started looking for other places, and uh, we found this awesome little home that we're going to move into in just a few weeks that we got approved for. We're excited. Um, the baby's going to have their own room. It's by my parents. Um, which they're super excited about. And then my mother-in-law, it's not far either. They're both kind of equal, so it's really good. It's going to be awesome. But I was just interested. We're talking about, man, it's coming so fast. We have to pack. It's just like in like a few weeks. Um, but it's amazing how God moves so slow, and then he moves so fast. He moves slow, and he moves fast when everything is in order. So that leads me to my last point is when God is with you, order and timing are everything. When God is with you, Order and timing are everything. Do we have any bakers out here? Do people like to bake? Has anybody ever baked a cake? Right? So with baking, right, it's fun, right? You get a good, you know, something out of it after when you're, when you're doing all that hard work. But there's multiple ingredients that goes into it. It's like a cup of flour, some sugar. I don't know exactly the ingredients. I follow a box. But a cup of, a cup of this, a cup of that, a stick of butter, some eggs, things like that. So... All those ingredients separated are not really desirable to eat on their own, right? You wouldn't just like down a cup of sugar, right? I hope not. But you know, when you, they're not desirable together, but when you put them together in a certain like sequence of events and the right amounts of, of that ingredients, and then you put it in the fire, in the oven, it br- brings out something like super extremely desirable, right? And if you get to taste the fruit of your labor, it's so good, um, So together with that sequence, it just makes something so, so great. And in life, sometimes we need, like, I think, like, a cup of patience, you know, a tablespoon of failure, or, um, you know, a few challenges here and there. There's all these ingredients that happen in the thing called life that are so, like, horrible in the moment and, like, undesirable but when God puts all those things together and it's put through the fire of life, God bakes something up. I know that sounds corny, something so, so awesome in your life and does more than you can even ask. So the things aren't desirable separate, but together they make something beautiful. God is slow when he's baking, but then he's fast at the end. So coming to the close of our story, at the second dinner, the time has come. So Esther um, doesn't pause. It's the right time, right? She doesn't pause. It's the right time. And the king asks, um, what is your request? So we go to Esther 7, 3 through 6. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition and spare my people. This is my request for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? 
Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. So Esther has her moment and she reveals everything that Haman has done. And Haman is begging basically Esther for his life. The king goes off and is furious, but his he comes back. His fate is pretty much already decided. So the king orders, which is very interesting, that Haman be killed on the same exact pole he prepared for Mordecai. He's, he's edict that, to do that. So it's interesting to see what God does, how he turns everything around, that no weapon really formed against you, like Michael said, will prosper. In this moment, Esther waited upon God. And look how God turned her situ- situation around. You may think this morning, you know, I don't know what's going on, and I don't, God, you know, it seems real slow right now. You know, I don't know when I'm going to be healed of this disease. I don't know when I'm going to get a job again. I don't know when my husband's going to come home. I don't know when that baby I've always wanted is going to be here. But God, I trust you in this moment. And I encourage you to stay on the path, just like Esther. She may have wondered how all of this would have come and wrapped up together. She didn't sign up to do all of this right? But God brought her through each and every situation and given her opportunities and moments to have faith and trust him. And he was the one who put all the ingredients together to make it something great. So in the end, the king reversed the edict and all the Jews are saved. And it's just an amazing fairy tale ending. There's a little more that goes on, but it's really cool to see that God loves happy endings too, right? And I think we have the greatest happy ending of all, and his name is Jesus. And he's someone that I feel like um, Esther mirrors a lot because just like Esther, Jesus is someone that fights for the broken and the voiceless and those that feel like they haven't measured up to a certain mark that has been established. But in this moment, Jesus is asking for you to trust him and to come home for those of you that that have been away. And I'd love to pray for you in this moment. So if you guys would close your eyes and bow your heads. When God is with you, nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible. If God can do it for Esther, he can do it for you. And I believe this is the God we serve. And this is the God that wants you to know him. And he wants, he just wants all of you. You don't have to measure up to a certain mark. You don't have to, be perfect. God wants you just the way you are, and he loves you so much. And you may not understand all these ingredients in your life, these disappointments, these failures, why there's so much time passing and you're not seeing things come to pass, but God wants wants you to know this morning when you follow him, he is going to put it all together. We may not know how, but he's just going to make it more beautiful, more tastier than anything you could ever put together on your own. So I just want to pray for you, um, two, two different people. So if you're here this morning, you're just wanting just a refreshment, just declaring to God, I, I want to, to trust you like I've never trusted you before. So if that's anybody in this room that's saying, I just want to trust you like I never have before and moving forward with you, I would love to pray for you for the first group of people. Is there anybody out there? Yes. Yes, yes. Thank you for your hands. I see your hands. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person in this room, God. They are saying, Lord, I trust you. I build my life upon your word and what you're doing. In this moment, God, I ask that you would begin to start moving the pieces around, God, that you would just shape it and mold it into the most beautiful 
beautiful outcome that could ever be, God. We thank you that you're with them, you're guiding them, and that they are going to see just how much you love them. We thank you, Lord. And I pray right now, I would ask to pray for another group of people, and that's those that maybe are far from God or um, have never known God. Um, he He is the greatest thing, I promise, that will ever happen to your life. I cannot say enough how much he has done for me and saved me. And I can't imagine living this life without him. And if you're, if you're not with him, I would encourage you to trust him. Try, try out Jesus. That sounds weird, but he, he, he wants to show you how much he loves you. So in this moment, if you've, if you've never followed God or you want to come back, to him come home this morning. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. I pray that it blessed you. It's so vital to do life together. That's why I would love to invite you to the Calling Church. Bring a friend. We would love to meet you. Also, stay connected to our church via our website, the Calling Church app, or our social media. God bless you.